Welcome to worship at Edmonds United Methodist Church. No matter where you are on life's journey, no matter what you believe or doubt, no matter how much or how little you have, no matter your race, gender, or immigration status, and no matter whom you love, you are beloved, belong, and are welcome. We say these words every Sunday to remind ourselves that even though the world sometimes places limits on belovedness or worth, God doesn't. So friends, welcome. Good morning, all you intrepid folks who rode here this morning. It's uh, great to be together in worship here at Edmonds United Methodist Church. My name is Donna Pritchard. I'm the pastor appointed to serve this church. And this is... I'm Ken Burr. I'm your... <laughs> I'm not sure what I am. There we go. Okay, I'm Ken Burr. I'm your pastor lay liturgist today. So. Excellent. It's lovely to share this with you, it is. Reverend Ken. And thank you, Reverend Donna. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and let's take a moment to welcome all those folks who are worshiping with us online. Good morning and welcome. It is always a delight to be together, and especially on this rainy, windy day, to be inside where the warmth of the fellowship is combined with the warmth of the space. Uh, so, without further ado, let us join together in the call to worship. Gathered to praise God. We stand in awe of God's creation. Grateful for God's care. We are humbled by God's presence. Challenged by God's call. We seek the grace to answer and to follow. Whatever God leads us, Whatever God asks of us, whatever God acts in our lives, we gather together to learn, to risk, and to grow. Amen. And now, my friends, as we continue in worship, let us join our hearts with one another as we share the peace of Christ, as we live together on the ancestral lands of the Coast Salish peoples, grateful for all that has come before us and hopeful for all that lies ahead. You may share signs of peace with your neighbor in whatever fashion is most comfortable for both of you. The peace of Christ be with you all.
Good morning, children and youth. You can come on forward. And while they're coming up, I'll just let the rest of you know that we officially have a volunteer in the nursery this morning, Sam, who's back here. So if you have anybody for the nursery, find Sam. He may just be in those back chairs if we don't have any infants right away. But zero to three, it's opened up. And thank you to our volunteers. We are so grateful. Okay, good morning. Some of you were here last week, some of you weren't. Those of you who were, do you remember what this church season is called? Ooh, we were talking about parables and it was called Lent. And do you remember how we played the worst game of hide and seek ever? Is it still there? Did you look? It kind of moved places a little bit for the choir. But if you look on top of the organ, what word is that that we tucked away? Do you remember the word? Alleluia. Yeah, we just tucked it away because Lent is a great season for self-reflection. So today we're talking about parables. So here's what I'm wondering. We're learning about the parable of the sower. And if you were to plant a garden, how would you prepare? Maybe you've had practice, maybe you haven't, but what do you need to do to plant a garden? Yes? You need good sunlight, good soil, and good water. Good sunlight, good soil, good water. Somebody sounds like a gardener, very nice. Okay, what else do we need? Any other thoughts? Seeds. Seeds are very helpful when you are planting a garden, yes. Any other thoughts? Um, you need uh, fertilizer. Fertilizer, yes. He wants to make sure that the soil is full of good nutrients so that that garden has success, right? Now, in the parable of the sower, something that maybe you haven't noticed is this farmer, I, the way that I kind of picture it is this farmer is just like frolicking around and scattering seeds. Like he's not actually a very good gardener. Did you notice? Yeah. It kind of reminds me, this is probably um, not a good reference for you, but it reminds me of Oprah Winfrey, who is a talk show host, and she's kind of famous for giving things away. So I kind of picture this gardener saying, you get some grace, and you get some grace, and you get some grace, and just throwing seeds. Sometimes they're on rocky soil, sometimes they're in the good soil with fertilizer and dense in nutrients. Sometimes they're scattered into the sun. Sometimes they're scattered into the shade. But this farmer doesn't really care about where the seeds are scattered. The farmer's just frolicking and scattering seeds. So that's part of what we're going to learn about in the parable of the sower today. OK, so let's close in a prayer. Dear God, Whoever has ears, may they hear. Amen. Okay, we're going to go back.
I'd like to give a brief introduction to the scripture which Daryl will read for us this morning. It comes from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and it is a part of a letter written to a divided and squabbling Christian community. How could that ever happen? <laughs> this was a community that was fighting over all kinds of things. Uh, you might say they were majoring in the minors. And so Paul writes to them and wants to refocus the conversation on what unites them in the first place, Jesus Christ. He reminds them there is no reason to be church without Christ and further points out that God's notion of the abundant life is not the same as the world's ideas. Paul points to the foolishness of the cross. This is actually a rather polite translation of the original word that was used. A more accurate translation would be moronic. The cross and Jesus' death, it just makes no sense in human terms. So what do we do with it? We domesticate it. We use this image for everything from wall hangings to body art to pretty necklaces and fancy earrings. And that is okay as long as we recognize our inability to grasp the full reality of the cross, that God is still confounding the powerful and the privileged, and Jesus is still making room at the table for the marginalized and the outcast. The cup is poured out and the bread is shared in the name of the one who opened his arms to everyone. Let's listen now as Daryl reads the scripture for us. Good morning, church. I'm your other brother, Daryl Berg, although I try and identify as the son-in-law of Neff, Dr. Neff. Some of you may know what that refers to. Um, please rise as you are able for the reading of the scripture. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. It is written in scripture, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will reject the intelligence of the intelligent. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through, his, through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Jews ask for signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified which is a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Please remain standing for the hymn of preparation. seated. Well, are you ready for the foolishness of preaching? <laughs> I love that line. Grace and peace to you from God and from Jesus Christ, who calls us together this day. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction, but for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works most powerfully, it turns out. Christ is God's ultimate miracle and wisdom all wrapped up in one. Human wisdom is so tiny, so impotent, next to the seeming absurdity of God. Human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. That is how Eugene Peterson renders today's scripture from 1 Corinthians. And it makes me want to respond with a resounding yes. When the world around us does not value the church and its message, as much as it does the latest TikTok or Instagram post. I hear this message from the New Testament and I want to swell up with pride. I feel justified in telling the world, you see, I told you so. 
We are on God's side, the winning team. It is easy to find hope for our value system and promise for our faith in this passage. What is much more difficult is to take it seriously enough to find life in it, to find, in fact, our lives within it. Because what would the neighbors think if we really began to rely on God's wisdom? I remember when I first was appointed to the First United Methodist Church in Portland, the largest United Methodist Church in the state, I was a bit overwhelmed. I got there coming directly off of the cabinet and was, you know, somewhat confident, but not totally, especially after I met the plethora of very smart people, people who had many advanced degrees. There were, I don't know, probably 20 PhDs in that congregation. I began to refer to them as my intelligentsia. <laughs> and I thought, now how am I going to pretend to have anything at all to say to these incredibly learned people? Well, about two months into that appointment, I was gifted with an opportunity to go to a conference where there were gathered other pastors of large churches. It's important that you say that in the right order. <clears throat> yes, and while there, I attended a workshop about making transitions and transformational change. And after the workshop was ended, I went over and I talked to the workshop leader and I said, you know, here's the thing. I have all of these people with PhDs in my congregation. I'm thinking I probably should start a continuing education program to get a doctor of ministry, which is kind of a dumbed down PhD. This guy thought about it for a minute and then he said to me, why would you want to do that? I said, well, well because I want to have some legitimacy. And he said to me, you don't need that. What you need is a compelling vision and the courage to share it. What would the neighbors think? If we took seriously the power of a compelling vision and the courage to share it. What would the neighbors think if we really believed that the cross could overturn the world as it is in favor of the world as it could become? What would anyone think if we decided that the cross makes perfect sense rather than relegating it to some mythic sheer silliness an outdated relic of past religiosity. What will the neighbors think? <clears throat> that must have been the question on the Corinthians' minds. After all, Jesus was crucified by the Romans. 
the very government that had brought peace and relative prosperity to the empire. The Romans were the established authorities. They were the good guys for the privileged class. Jesus must have been doing something wrong, they would think to themselves. He had to have been to blame somehow. To honor him, much less to follow him, it must have sounded like foolishness. And then along comes Paul's letter, telling them God deliberately chooses what we see as foolish to show up those who think they are wise. God intentionally uses the weak to expose the strong. God sides with the lowly and the humble to bring down those who have exalted themselves. Here, Paul not only proclaims Jesus, he understands his own life in relation to him. Not because he is trying to make a good impression or wow the crowd or win over his intelligentsia, but only because he wants to live the love God shares, the love which Jesus models for us all. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann once suggested that anyone who trusts the living God does not just see the world in terms of its reality. Anyone who trusts the future sees the world according to its potential. If we are to follow Jesus, we have to see the world's fullest potential in light of God's gospel in light of God's understanding of wisdom, which challenges our perception of what is weak and what is strong, what is foolish and what is wise. As Wesleyan Christians, we cannot separate our love for God from our passion to help create the kingdom of God on earth. Now the gospel lesson assigned for this third Sunday in Lent comes from John's Gospel. We didn't read it this morning, but let me give you the Reader's Digest version. It is the story of Jesus indignantly and violently turning over tables and driving the money changers out of the temple. Personally, I've always found it useful to enter into a new place wielding a whip that I fashioned upon arrival while I toss around furniture and condemn the locals. <laughs> not really. You see, clearly Jesus was not worried about what the neighbors would think. In fact, he was simply responding to what he knew of God's love, God's justice, God's truth. Maybe this story of Jesus is what inspired Flannery O'Connor to write, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. Andrei Rublev was an odd character. He was a Russian monk considered one of the greatest masters of the icon tradition. Arguably, his most famous icon is the Trinity, 
In the Eastern Church, this icon is called the Hospitality of Abraham, as it depicts the visit of the three angels to Abraham and Sarah, found in the book of Genesis. The angels have come with news that Sarah, an old woman, and a barren one at that, is going to have a baby. This news causes Sarah to laugh, which leads them to name their baby Isaac, which means laughter. What foolishness. In any event, focusing on these three foolish messengers, Riblev offers us a glimpse of the God whose very nature, one in three, seems like sheer silliness. This is the God who comes to us when we believe that life is at an end. And instead of asking us about caskets or plots or cremation, suggests we get out the crib and start looking for a preschool. In this image of the Trinity, which, by the way, Kelly Lattimore has reimagined using three women of various ethnicities and which you can see hanging behind the welcome desk in our church today. In this image, we find a community surrounding a table and there is an empty space where you might yet sit down. You see, Rubleb seems to have understood what Paul was trying to tell the Corinthians and us. God's presence always brings with it an invitation. There is always an empty space at God's table where you are invited to sit down, join the community, and become a part of the party. My friends, God has placed a call in your life, regardless of your place in the power structure of the world as it is. God calls you, regardless of your educational levels or your socioeconomic status. God invites you to the table regardless of where you have been or who you claim to know, or even irrespective of what you have done. When we stop worrying about what the neighbors will think, we begin to trust the truth, and it will indeed make us odd. It will make us odd enough to embrace the power of the cross to transform us all. Historian Howard Zinn reminds us, we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future. The future is an infinite succession of presence. And to live now as we think human beings should live, in defiance of all that is bad around us, that is itself a marvelous victory. To live now as we know human beings should live. 
It is a marvelous victory of foolishness for each and every one of us. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we come into a time of prayer, I would invite you to take a look in the bulletin at the prayer list. We'll have a few moments of silence to give you the opportunity to lift these persons and those closest to your own hearts this day. Let us pray. O Holy One, you are the God who feeds and nourishes. You are the God who assures that we have more than enough 
And we do not doubt that you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Even in such an assurance, we scramble for more. We seek a surplus, enough education to plan ahead, enough power to protect our supply. And in the midst of that comes your word that we share our bread and feed the hungry, even the least, and so you. We mostly keep our bread for ourselves, our neighbors, and our friends. It does not often occur to us to feed our enemies, to care for those who threaten us. We do not often remember to break vicious cycles of hostility with free bread, free water, free wine, free milk. Until we remember that you are the giver of all good gifts, ours to enjoy, ours to share. Stir us by your spirit beyond fearful accumulation to outrageous generosity that giving bread to others makes for peace, giving drink to others makes for justice, that giving and sharing opens the world and assures abundance for all. We pray this even as we ponder the gift of your son who comes to us in bread and cup, who welcomes us and invites us in to forgive us and renew us. Fill us with your grace this day. Fill us till we want no more. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for uh, today's offering, I'd like us to remember to pause, to remember the gifts of God to lift up our lives, and acknowledge the one who gives us the much more that we can ever give to God. As offering plates are being pressed, be generous as you can, and take a moment to consider how each of us can give back to a God who sustains us and a community that, come, that surrounds us. Now, just please come forward at this time. Today, also, you can give to offerings, tithes and offerings, through the plate right now, or you can give through a mail by mailing to 828 Casper Street, Edmonds, Washington, 98020, or give online through edmunds, edmundsumc.org slash give. Have the ushers come forward at this time and give as generously as you can.
Gracious God, we thank you for giving our many blessings. Let's think of the things you give to us, the good earth that feeds us, the clean air that surrounds us, family and friends to nurture our hearts, and strangers showing kindness when we least expect it. And the ministry of this church, they encourage us to follow the path of Jesus one step at a time. In our privilege and wealth, we give with gratitude and expectation that whatever we have offered today will be used in your service. In your name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We come now to the celebration of the Eucharist, to which everyone is welcome. The table of bread and wine is now made ready. So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more. You have been here often and you have not been here for a while. You have tried to follow Jesus and even those who have failed, come because it is Christ who invites you to meet us here. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift, lift up our hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. It is right. It, we offer you praise dear God and hearts lifted high for in the communion of your love, Christ comes close to us and we come close to Christ. Therefore, the whole realm of nature around us, with earth, sea, and sky, we sing to you. With brothers and sisters, east and west, we sing to you. And with our loved ones, separate from us now, and yet those in this mystery who are so close to us. And we join in the song of unending greatness. Holy, 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 holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is our brother Jesus, who walks with us the road of our world's suffering and who is known to us in the breaking of bread. On the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread and having blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. In the same way, Jesus took wine, and having given thanks for it, he poured it out and gave the cup to the disciples, saying, This cup is the new relationship with God, sealed with my life. Take this and share it. And as often as you do, remember me. Hear us, O Christ, and breathe your spirit upon us and upon this bread and cup. May they become for us your body, vibrant with your life, healing, renewing, and making us whole. Hear us as we pray together the prayer which you taught. Our Father, Father in heaven, heaven hallowed, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, done on earth as, as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us for the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. I would invite our two servers to come forward, if you would. We will receive communion by intinction this morning, which means you will be given a piece of bread to dip into the cup. And the, uh, come as the ushers indicate, returned by the side aisles, if you would. Ken.
pray. Living God, in this sacrament we have shared in your eternal kingdom. May we who taste this mystery forever serve you in faith, hope, and love. Amen. I have just a couple of announcements that I want to draw to your attention that are in the back of the bulletin this morning. Uh, you'll note that we are having a community game night this Friday night coming up. And uh, this is a very casual event. Uh, it's a, a dinner and a game night. And uh, we will provide pizza and, and salad and ask that you bring a side dish and a favorite game to share or one or the other. Uh, there was always plenty, and it's truly open to everyone of all ages. Um, also, you'll note that next Sunday, following worship, the continuing discussion about what's happening in Palestine will include a showing of a film, and uh, that'll happen in the chapel. So you don't want to miss that. There's some information in here today about Easter services. So you might want to take a note of that. And if you are thinking about how you might get more uh, involved in the priority that we name number one, children, youth, and families, a really excellent way to do that is by volunteering to be a mentor for a member of our youth group. And it's a pretty simple ask. It doesn't take a ton of time. And there are plenty of people who can support you in that. If this is something that you feel like you can offer, please let Karen know that. And you'll see there are a few more announcements. I want to draw your attention to those as well. But for now, let us stand and join in singing the closing hymn.
By way of benediction today, I want to draw your attention back to one of the hymns that we sang a little bit earlier, because I think these words are perfect. Faith begins by letting go, giving up what had seemed sure, taking risks and pressing on, though the way feels less secure. Pilgrimage both right and odd, trusting all our life to God. My friends, let us go out to continue that pilgrimage, and may the peace of Christ go with us all. Amen.